0: This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're taking on a big point of confusion for wine drinkers. I'll bet they're wondering why we're on the air. (laughs) I'll bet they are, too. But this time it's about wine prices. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're talking about why some wine prices are what they are, especially in restaurants and bars. A listener asks if our palates change as we age. We have some news about wine and weed. Everybody wants that. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs, even the ones who know grammar, because we have a question about that, too. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are talking about pricing. Yeah, we should charge more, Rick. For what? Well, for anything. I mean, it's a good basic principle. The more you charge, people will think you're more valuable.
0: That is true. And in fact, we have talked about how people have been told they have
1: expensive wine uh, they, they like it more, they like it more, even if it 's the same wine they just had, thinking it was less expensive that they liked less
0: yes, so we should charge more, maybe people would like us a little, but that 's not what we 're talking about today we are actually we 're talking about how wine gets priced why why it is, and, and that kind of pricing can be confusing. Uh, as, as can we. And it starts with a question that we got from, uh, from a listener, Anthony Anthony Villareal. Oh, let me get this out, because we have been mangling our regular listeners lately. Can I help and, you with this one? Yes, Villareal. Anthony Villareal, yes, in Chicago, a regular listener. And he. it's worth discussing. Um, so we're not going to charge him for this, by the way. Oh, so, uh, he's a regular listener. Yeah, we're making a right. deal. Okay. I need to read his entire email, because the first part is very important. I love the show, guys. You guys are super funny with a bit of information to boot.
1: Boy, what are we doing wrong? Because usually we have no information at all. (laughs) I know, really. Thank you, Anthony. (laughs) We appreciate that.
0: But actually, what he brings up is a better thing. So, uh... He said for the past couple of months when I got to dinner, I've stopped buying wine because it's kind of expensive. I remember mm. you talking about restaurants having to cover their overhead for their staff members, opening the bottle and storing the bottle and receiving the shipments. But should a bottle of name removed so we won't get sued Riesling ever cost 28 bucks? I know I can walk into a store and buy that same bottle for $9. What seems to be a reasonable markup online?
1: Uh, most restaurants would say as much as they can get. Yeah, yeah. So this is a good question, and
0: it helps explain both what to expect and um, and and why why you're getting gouged. You're not actually. It's, you're it is. Well, you are. you are. I mean, in you, well, terms you are of wine, getting gouged.
1: You're getting gouged.
0: Yes, but it has become the price to pay. You're getting gouged on a lot of things. You buy a beer at <laughs> T Park in San Francisco. You're getting <laughs> you're gouged. Getting and gouged. Everybody's happy. Yeah. But let's let's run through this and explain this and and. And what Anthony was asking about some of the things that we had talked about in the past. So let's, let's talk about, first off, Really simple thing, it's really hard to run a restaurant. You know, they tend to fail. Right. And I, you know, right. I've done something some,
1: like a third of all restaurants go out of business in the first year and they don't go out of business because they're making money. Hand actually, over the fist.
0: number is 25 to 27 percent. I've there done some studies on these See things. That? And, but that's but, why you're on the show. Even worse, it's nearly 60 percent in the first three years. Yeah. And then after yeah. that, if they make it to five years, then they're like any other small business and the averages right. room. But what that tells you is. Among the things that are really, really difficult for restaurants, and restaurant consultants will tell you, is pricing is almost your number one thing. Yep. It's just nailing that price to the right, to the right level. And yep. margins are really slim on food. Right. And the right. National Restaurant Remember that somebody's
1: buying that. a steak there at, at a fairly expensive price. You know, what are you buying? You're buying a, a T-bone at, at 12 bucks a pound or so. You're cooking it. You're putting it on a plate. You're putting some vegetables that you've cooked and all the rest, and you're putting it out there in the restaurant at twenty eight dollars. That's not paying the chef all that much money,
0: right? Well, as those are the first guys that take it, actually, is and then the and chefs. then you yeah. got
1: the dishwashers and all the rest. So restaurants don't make money on food, I guess, is what we're saying. Yeah. So then the answer is okay. Then they have to make it up on. They have to make it up on wine
0: and alcohol in general. And that's always been. I mean, that's like for it's a grand
1: know. tradition in the restaurant yep. business now. Not true in Europe. Because in Europe, wine prices are way lower in restaurants. And the other thing, of course, is that in Europe, you don't leave a tip because the staff is paid. So their entire pricing structure in Europe is different, and that's why wine pricing is different as well. But in the U.S., most restaurants say wine is ultimately their profit center.
0: Yeah, and and there's another reason, too, and that is um, that they can't I, some of the reasons why we're talking about the difference between pricing in stores and pricing in restaurants, yeah remember that stores can do a number of things, one they have they need much less staff
1: right the the distributors, right. the
0: people who bring the wine in in essence, keep track of the inventory for them because right. they want to keep bringing in more of that same wine so they yep. know when they get low. Yep. They will even do some setup for them, although there's some legal yep. issues about what exactly they well, can and, do. Well,
1: and a good wine shop will have a wine expert on staff. A right. lot of them will just have wine on the shelves. You go in and pick it out yourself.
0: And then there's the, the also the issue where retail stores can make it up in volume. Restaurants don't expect a whole lot of people to buy six bottles of wine. Right. Except right. me, of course. Except you. Yeah. When yeah. I, that's usually my usual. Yeah. One. And then you take, you
1: are so brutal to the service staff. Well, that yeah. It's really there's, just... there's
0: that too, but that six <laughs> bottles. That's usually my, so I'm thinking I should get a discount. But, um... <laughs> yeah,
1: you should get it. Right. Actually, I think a lot of restaurants would be willing to give you the door. <laughs> <Thank> you. <That's, laughs> that is the discount that I get a lot. Yeah. It's, um, so Anthony,
0: here's kind of how the pricing tends to work. Um, retail stores get Tend to, and this is all tend to, it's always different, but the average is in essence a 50% markup. So a $10 wine to them means it'll sell on the shelves for 15
1: bucks. Right. Another way of looking at it is retail shops buy the wine for two-thirds the price that they sell it.
0: I thought fifty percent markup was a good way to. Well, it is. So you that's... when you start to getting threes the, and they got fractions. And yeah, just telling I'm going you. percentages. Percentages are easier you. to deal with because it's going to get a little more confusing. Um, so that's... well, no.
1: The the key point is they buy it at the same price a restaurant buys right. it. Right, 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 right. Retail right. shops and restaurants buy the wine at exactly the same price. Right. So, to your example, a bottle of wine that would sell in the retail wine shop at fifteen dollars, they're buying at ten. The restaurant's buying at ten, and the restaurant is probably selling it at.
0: 30. Yeah, it's two to three times, and it usually depends on the on the price of the wine, but mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. So for a restaurant, and and that's why they like by the bottle pricing, I mean, excuse me, by the glass pricing, because usually the way they figure your glass price is the cost to them. Right. So if you think about a glass of wine, it's going to be, now we're using fractions again, two-thirds of the cost of the, right. the bottle in the well, store. Well, let's take that $15 which like a bottle of ripoff. wine. All right, we've got to stop doing math here. Though. They're
1: buying it for 10 <laughs> And each glass of that wine is being sold for eight to ten dollars. So by the time they sell five glasses, they're making a nice little profit on the buy the glass wine. Right. just so you know, most wineries are so happy to have restaurants put their wines on by the glass that they usually cut the price. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and, and it is actually, uh, as you know, as you know, one of the things that I do is I work with restaurants. Sometimes who are bringing in their wine list, and and you know when I talk to the, the distributors and the, yep. the folks that're bringing in, they always have a great offer if you'll put it by the glass. That's right. Because it's good. Right. It's good PR for them. So,
1: so what do the restaurants say as a rationale for? Well, I buy this wine at ten dollars, and the retail sh- shop sells it at. 15 and I'm going to put it on the list at 32.
0: Well, let me just say one addition to that, which will tick off Anthony even more, was that $9 reasoning, they're not going to put it on for 18 because that looks too low. Right. So for the lower right. priced wines, right. it even has a higher percentage markup.
1: Well, there is, in fact, a standard, standard uh, uh, point of conversation with any good sommelier if you talk to him about a wine that's not selling on the list and what he should do for that wine in order to increase the sales raise the price. Raise the price. Absolutely. Every time. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Yep.
0: It's, that's why yep. we should raise our price. <laughs> yes, we should. Because free apparently <laughs> we, doesn't seem to be doing it. Apparently, that.
1: the problem is we need a customer.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can see some holes in our plan already, but um, one of these days. All right. So to answer your question, um, what do restaurants say about that? And yes. it's well, you know, tough tooties is part of
1: what they say. They it's part of that, and then it's partly we have a lot of glasses. A good restaurant with really nice glasses can lose a stunning amount of wine in breakage. Right. Um, I once heard a, a number that was well over. Uh, five figures for how much glassware they lost in a year um, they got to store this stuff they got to serve it they got to open it they got to pay people to do all of that all but you and I both know Rick that opening a bottle of wine and pouring it into a glass doesn't isn't really actually worth. Well, hitting worth. the glass can be difficult. Twenty two dollars. Yeah. twenty two dollars to do that. That's, what that's... I, I will.
0: I will pay 20 dollars to make it into the glass. <laughs> make it sometimes, into the glass. That's just me. It's a, that's I got right. my own issues. I think you yeah. got
1: people right now who'd be willing I, to come over to your yeah. house.
0: They often pay me twenty two dollars not to come to their
1: house. So, that's Right. Yeah.
0: Um, so that I mean, it is. It's true. It's all of those things. So to
1: you know, in but in, the real in, the real answer is it's convention. It's and convention. They can do Absolutely. it, and it's been a source of revenue for the restaurants for years. Now there are restaurants who have broken the mold. And some of them charge a relatively low markup. One sort of trend in restaurants that I really like is the restaurant that owns the wine shop next door. And they can then – you can order any bottle out of the wine shop and they mark it up a flat 10 bucks or something. That's really fun. And one of the things those restaurants will tell you is they sell a lot more wine. Um, they their average check price is higher because they 're making wine available to the customer at yeah and, price. and the
0: restaurants that I hate the most, and there are some some are in here not so far from our station, where uh-huh. they have a, they have the wine shop next door and in fact the wide wide open wall in between the two of them, and they still charge you full corkage wow that doesn 't seem right yeah. there 's a couple other things to know by the way if you 're dealing with a wine list is that often restaurants will jack up a little bit more uh, on the big names names that they peep that people know cuz they know people will sell that people will buy.
1: Right. And um, then you also have the restaurants who will not carry any wine that's available in a supermarket because people will make that price comparison in their heads and so we they We have will... a question
0: about that later. I want to get into that a bit more later okay. so that's why I'm cutting you off okay. here. Okay, well, I'm um, fine. Yes. Yeah, I didn't want to answer that. Well, you see, I should tell you what questions we have. But that's a but that's a huge <laughs> point. They
1: don't want you to know. You mean wait, the, you mean you peek in the mailbag before uh, we do the show? Uh,
0: I do. I do. I, I, you know what I do is I pour out all that volumes of mail. I <laughs> <laughs> pour it out on the ground. And I roll in it a little bit. I throw it up in the air and I say, "Look at the mail." For, how look does the that
1: mail. work for email? Yes,
0: it's a, no, I, I, I roll in the computer. It's a complicated. <laughs> That's exactly right. So there is that flip side on the well-known names. Often it's ones right. that sell well, right. and you know what they are, especially in sort of the steakhouse wines. You know. Well,
1: and the other thing you'll see is when you're in a restaurant that has a wide range of prices the lower end wines will have a higher markup. By the time you're in the 100 to 150 to $200 a bottle range, they won't be marking those up as much because, man, if they marked those up, they would be astronomical. In the meantime, right, right. they're still making their profit. If they buy a wine at 50 and sell it for $100, they are still making plenty of money, whereas if they're buying a $9 wine... They don't want it. They don't want to sell it for eighteen. They want to sell it for twenty-five or thirty to get at least fifteen or twenty bucks out of it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's yeah, and that'll that'll work just fine. All right, and the final advice, Anthony, um, don't think too much about it. If you do, it'll, it'll just make your
1: head hurt. I think the final advice is go to restaurants that have a sane corkage policy. Yeah, but well, that's Bring the other path. special bottles of your own wine when you want to and really encourage the restaurants who have sane wine pricing and tell them why you're eating there. You're mm. eating there because you really like their wine policy. There you go.
0: Yeah. Uh, and if, don't tell them that Rick and Paul told you to
1: go there. No, because the, they'll throw they will, you out. They, 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 yeah, that'll be the end of it. They'll say, wait, they'll say, Rick, what, you mean Rick Cushman? Right,
0: yeah. I have one other bit of advice, by the way, if you're <laughs> if you're sort of weighing the price on things, is um, I say get the wine, don't get the dessert. And by the way, restaurants actually don't mind if you don't get dessert.
1: Because they don't make any money No dessert. money,
0: and they would rather that you leave and they turn the table. Yeah,
1: on the other hand, the server wants you to order dessert because it it, increases the dessert tip. is your tip. Yep. 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 Yep.
0: Yep. Well, we like to think that we are like dessert on your week. And, and You're making no money. And yes, <laughs> yes, you make nobody makes any money from us. But uh, and we don't even get tipped. This is Bottle talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we will take some questions. Stay with us. You're listening to a Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time to get to that mailbag I've been playing with. And If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget to look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free. Just one itty bitty click. If you're new to us and you want to know what we're doing, talking about restaurants and wine and all that kind of stuff... We, we, eat, we eat
1: out, weed we? eat out. Yeah, yeah we, we eat we, in we, restaurants sometimes yeah, where yeah. they'll let us.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the, the list is dwindling. Um, <laughs> Paul, uh, on the other hand, is a respected industry pro, or he was until
1: he started doing the show.
0: He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College at the Colony Institute of America and around the world.
1: And Rick is the wine commentator for Capital Public Radio and has written a couple of books, one of which was a New York Times bestseller on the world of wine, and uh, consults with wineries and restaurants and tells them how much they should mark up the wines on their list. Yeah, and they never listen to me. All
0: right. Our <laughs> first question comes from Bill Stevenson in Clipper Gap, which is in Northern California, Foothills, if, if folks don't know. He's also a regular listener. Uh, and his email—he— uh, He called the show in his email, and let me quote, informative, educational, and thoroughly amusing. I'll bet he drinks a lot of wine. He probably listens to us after that. Yeah, he drinks a lot (laughs) of wine. But but Bill, so Bill actually has two questions he gets to ask because he's so nice to us. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Actually, they're good questions, so we would have answered them anyway. His first, uh, my father is now 80. He used to drink good wines, but now drinks wine like bargain Shiraz that I find hard to choke down. Does the palate degrade with age like Hearing and eyesight, etc. What? <laughs> you know, that's so, it, I fell for it. <laughs> I'm, Sorry. Well, Too people, easy. People would argue our brain power has been uh, right. with age well, as
1: well. And, um, Bill is absolutely right. Yeah. Um, that your palate does uh, diminish with age and you are less capable of tasting things and maybe that's not such a bad thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Though what's really happening with your palate degrading is, as we always say, your sense of smell is what's really, you know, and that's 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 a huge part of it, right? But
1: I had the, actually, pretty honor position of being an assistant to Brother Timothy at the Christian Brothers as he reached the end of his career. And he was, of course, at the time, significantly older than I was. And as we tasted wine together, I was always amazed that he would frequently comment on the fact that I was tasting things that he did not necessarily perceive. I was always impressed by the fact that while tasting perhaps less than I was tasting in the wine, he was able to put that together in a way that enabled him to understand the wine way better than I ever would. So. Yeah.
0: Well, there's there's two things to think about here, too, is one of them is that. If you stay active, like anything else, it degrades more slowly. So if you taste lots of wines, and you're the kind of person that loves sort of picking them apart, just keep doing it. Just keep
1: drinking lots and lots of wine, and you'll never get
0: old. But here's the good news. you can, As you get older, you get to drink the cheaper stuff. (laughs) That's something to look forward to. Exactly. All right. Bill had a second question, and it was about his own palate. He said, Mm -hmm, "I, mm -hmm. I have had several bottles from the same winery, same vintage, same case. At first, I thought I was experiencing bottle variation, but I sometimes think that." differences I pick up from bottle to bottle is my own physiology, namely palate variation. Is there such a thing as palate variation? Well, yes, there is, and it's not his physiology so much as his psychology.
1: Well, it could be both. You know, one of the things that you learn when you taste in serious situations with enologists is they frequently tell you that ten thirty, eleven o'clock in the morning is the right time to taste wine. It's when your palate's freshest. Oh, you're
0: supposed to taste, because I start drinking right on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And you are getting a little hungry, so that your whole mouth nose situation is really plugged into what 's available and what we could put in our stomachs and so you and I have both uh, commented on the fact that when we judge wine competitions. Tasting in the afternoon is different than tasting oh, yeah. in the morning. So there's a lot of different variables here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it is. It, but there's all kinds of things. It is, but it's true. Think about, like, it's how you're feeling. You know, runners or cyclists or you know, tennis players or anybody will tell you there's some days they feel really good and some days they don't. And, yeah. and there's and then if you are, uh, <clears throat> you know, if, you, if you're buying uh, Alfred, uh, Mr. Steiner— um, and that there's right. leaf days that's and fruit right. days. That's and, right, the biodynamics. Yeah, it's the biodynamics. Which we've, we've done other shows on this, and we're now sort of doing an inside joke. But there's actually an argument inside the biodynamic world that um, there are days that you taste some things
1: better than others, like right. leafy things versus fruity things. Right. Happily just... for us, we find that wine tastes good every day. Yeah,
0: yeah. I have wine days is what they you are. Wine so. days. but, But Bill, that's a really good question. They, they certainly are, and sometimes it's simply your mood. It and, can just uh, be your mood.
1: I, yes, but I would also suggest that one of the things Bill look at is um, both uh, what he serves the wine with and what temperature he serves the wine, because mm-hmm. both of those have a huge impact on what the wine tastes like. And on a hot day, the red wine may not taste as good even though it's only a few degrees warmer. Just a few degrees can make a huge difference in how the wine tastes.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Hope that answers a couple of those questions for you. Our next comes from James in Santa Monica. So there's one restaurant here that's we were talking about this just a moment yeah. ago. There's one restaurant here that's not seriously expensive, but they have a pretty good wine list and a Corkage is fifty bucks. Is that just a raised middle finger?
1: Yes. Yes,
0: (laughs) it is. Next
1: question. Yes.
0: They do not want you bringing wine in. (laughs) That's right. Because they are exact opposite of the restaurant that Paul wanted to send you to.
1: Well, and on the other hand, they may have a really good wine list. They may feel like they've invested a huge amount of money in collecting some real rarities, and they're offering them to you. On the other hand, if it's my anniversary with my wife, and I want to bring in a bottle of wine that has some special romantic meaning for us, because it was the wine that we drank the night we got engaged or whatever it is, and they tell me I'm going to have to pay 50 bucks to have an open it at the restaurant, I'll probably eat somewhere else.
0: You run across that. I mean, some of the really high-end—French Lonry famously says, yes.
1: don't bring in your wine. Don't bring in your wine. We've got, We've got perfectly good stuff here. Yeah, and, they, and, that, so and they do. They do. But they don't have that wine that's really special to you, but they do have really good wine. So it's really a question— you know, if if the if the event at the restaurant is only about food and drink then fine but I think restaurants are more about food and drink they're also about celebrating occasions and if you want to bring in something special I don't think restaurants should punish you now I've frequently had the experience that after I brought in a pretty nice bottle that had particular meaning for us and explained it to the restaurant, they not only didn't charge us corkage um, but they were they just, you know, opened it up, poured it, and we drank it, and I left a little bit for the sommelier so that he or she could taste it, and everybody was happy.
0: Yeah, that's always actually a good little tip. And we, we give that one a lot, which is sometimes just offer the server, or the psalm, sure. or whoever it is that's running the wine, um, a taste spe- and tell them it's a special bottle. Yes, and but you
1: can't do that with the wine that Bill's dad is drinking.
0: No, no, the rot, the rot, syrah, whatever he called it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably not the rot, yeah. your teeth. In any case, no. Um, yeah, but I'm going to, what I do, I just, I tell them that. It's always a special occasion. We, we just try to get a free dessert. Now, you never, you never Every night is your birthday, <laughs> that, right? That's right. right. Yes, yeah, so I am now 4,000 years old, but it, sometimes it works. All right, Great. Well, s- we are still the dessert on your day, uh, but that will be it for questions. We will have a bunch more questions later on in the show. And if you'd like to ask us one, go to rickandpaulwine.com. Coming up, some really horrible wine writing. Stay with us. Lucina, Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. The sweet, soft tones tell you something. It's time for really horrible wine writing, and we've got a couple of... We have got one word in particular that you have brought in that I just... I, I'm glad, because...
1: Uh, I've made you happy today. You've have made I me written? happy today. Yeah, the word I brought in is enophile. And there's only one reason to use this word. You're Uh, an idiot. No. You're mean. Uh, No. You're snob. No, I'm not going to get there yet. Uh, Those those are three good reasons. (laughs) No. There are so many easier words that people would embrace. A wino, someone who loves wine. I like wino. A connoisseur, a collector. All of those could be, but enophile, which is a real sort of bastardization of ancient Greek to get there. The only reason you should use enophile is if you are leading into a story about people who love Pinot Noir, because the next transformation is going to be Pinophile. And that's a funny word. It's kind of a funny word. Yeah. So, I'm all in favor of pinophile. Oh, you say, oh, you're saying
0: this is the one acceptable version of it.
1: Absolutely. No. An enophile is a pinophile without the p.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, and and too often you get it from you get it from wine writers, you know, once I I mean, that is such a thing. I mean, is that is it they can't say wine fans, wine lovers because they just, you know, it just It's
1: not snooty enough. It's not snooty enough. Yeah. It's, Do you have
0: something that's snootier than that? I do have something that's snootier than that. This is some wine writer called this a tasting note. Let me read this to you. If you have not incorporated Riesling into your bottle rotation, you simply must consider it. (laughs) The esteemed varietal is one of the most terroir expressive wine grapes, subsisting, which can be made of as dry, off-dry, or sweet wine. The wine drinker may find pleasure in each form and style, depending naturally on his or her individual personal preference. I find the dry incarnations to be quite pleasing. In Eastern France, reason of all sauce, the wine name has been removed so we don't get sued, is a family wine winery known as a pillar and institution of excellent quality and performance, and their entry-level reasoning is mineral-esque and dry with excellent fruit. Have it with pork. <laughs> Dear so, Lord. Okay. For, Dear he Lord. can't write. Just, well, this is Yes. You know what I like about this note, though? He kind of doubles everything. Yeah. You know, individual and personal preference, form
1: and you know, it's this but the other thing is I also like subsisting. Subsisting, which is actually inc- I mean just right. do, that does means not means like mean sur- what, barely surviving, what means, right? Is consisting. Yes. And and yeah. or existing. Existing, right? And then and then the other thing that I liked in here was um the incarnation of yes. the grape. Yes. Yes. Which actually um I, I don't want my grape to turn into meat. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, well and I do. I also like
0: that. I like that. I like that you you simply must consider it. <laughs> yeah. Well, in in your bottle rotation. In your bottle Rick, rotation. What is your bottle well, rotation? Well, usually like? do you do you, two
1: lefties and then a righty. Yeah. Or? No.
0: You know, I think that because there's there's a lot of left-handed hitters in and I'm playing in the bottle world now. I've got um, all right. All right. We got We got to get out of this. Uh, we're. We'll have a, it's time we're, to do our it's rotation. It's time to do our rotation. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Don't forget we are on iTunes. You can subscribe for free. We'll be back with some history in just a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. You know, Paul, we say this every week, but these guys, it's just impressive the way they get in there, get those notes out,
1: consistent, they get out. You know what I love is the way they're... Cheeks puff yeah, up like that is. when they're hitting and the And The little faces get all they're red. All yeah. red. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's
0: pretty darn cute. Those 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 gentlemen mean it's historic history moment of the week time. And Paul's got one for
1: us. Well, I think it's sort of interesting because, you know, we, we have this crazy system in the United States that has every state regulating wine sales and alcohol sales in a different way. And people frequently ask me, why is that? And the answer is prohibition. Because following prohibition, remember, prohibition was a constitutional amendment. So as a constitutional amendment, if you're going to change it, you need a 75% of the states voting in favor of it. The only way they could get all the different states to vote in favor of the repeal of prohibition was to tell each state, you get to do whatever you want when it comes to controlling alcoholic beverages. And for most of those states, it meant not only controlling the laws but also taxing them and raising money so that those important legislatures and state governments could accomplish all the important work they're doing every day. And that's why the current laws will never get changed because that's those guys are taking money out of this.
0: Deal. Yeah, and that, uh, that goes a little – another little ways towards answering uh, at least some of your question, Anthony, which is that – Why do restaurants do uh, what yeah, they do and all they're, the rest? They're, yeah. they're, they're not getting anything back yeah. from that.
1: So can you top my brief instruction in American democracy?
0: Well, I'm going to go with, uh, with uh, um, uh, historic history and, and our man Plato. However – Oh, going I don't, all
1: the way back to the beginning. I don't,
0: I don't like to think of this as a competition.
1: I like to think this is a, as a collaboration. Spoken like a guy who's about to lay down oh. three aces.
0: Yeah. Or, or <laughs> yes, there you go. All right. So, I, actually, I do like this. So, <laughs> our, our, because, um, because frankly, this, this applies to you and I, Paul. Excellent. Paul, Plato argued that the minimum drinking age should be 18. So okay, yeah, okay. fair enough. And you know, as we've said in the past, you know, both the Greeks, the Romans, they all wine was a huge part, it was life. It was the it, it was. was the fluid.
1: Yes. Moderation um, in all things. Yes.
0: So and that's what he argued. He argued that then wine should be only drunk in moderation. Yes. But he said when a man reaches forty, he may drink as much as he wants to cure the quote crabbiness of old age. Well, we wouldn't know anything <laughs> about that. But that's no, a great plan. I don't know, it's ticking me off. Like even where's my wine? <laughs>
1: By the way, you know who was uh, this yeah. Plato, sob? Yeah, anyway. the guy
0: was he. No, um, <laughs> and actually, you know, moderation was was a big deal to to the uh, to Plato and his his folk. Oh, balance, equilibrium, yeah. man, absolutely. Well, and he his theory was that. You know, it's why they had, uh, like, they served wine at a symposia that yes. we've talked about that in right. the past was big. In theory, intellectual discussions where wine was served, they said they didn't get drunk. They said that. Oh, yeah, honey, but they I only had, had a couple glasses.
1: The, they did mix the wine with two parts water to one right? part wine, so well, it wasn't didn't have much of a kick.
0: And and what he said was that citizens needed to learn moderation in the face of exposure to pleasure. So those symposium, among other things, were a way to test and train a person's character. He said, quote, drinking well, not quotes, really it's translation, drinking wine stimulates the emotions, including the desires for pleasure of questionable moral worth. He said for anyone to reach healthy-mindedness and their full potential, they have to struggle against, fight, and conquer their feelings of pleasure and desire. So... Well, here's the thing, Paul. Since you and I are not really good on moderation, uh, we are— I was are, just
1: thinking you've just taken an awful lot of the fun out of this show. I, I was
0: just thinking we're, both of us are pretty questionable of moral worth. or <laughs> 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 right. well, right, we, we haven't gotten close to reaching our full potential. <laughs> Speaking of potential, though, I want to shift gears here because we have a report from the uh, Wine Industry Financial Symposium. Oh, good. A different kind of symposium. Yes, this was, study. I'll bet this, this was,
1: is one of Rick's famous studies. Well,
0: not so much. This is, um, this is actually just one of the guys who presented um, at the— Okay, at the, so it's uh, his study.
1: It's his study. And okay. It's
0: Jim Smith, Republic National Distributing Company in Colorado, and they're a big deal in Colorado, and in which is states. where this was. He says that legalized marijuana has had... A kind of a strange impact, besides, of course, the massive increase in sales of Doritos, which was, came- Oreos. was as ex- suspe- right. expected. Yeah,
1: we should so- do a grass and food pairing at some point on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead yeah. of our wine and food yes. pairing, and we'll giggle the rest of it like we don't already.
0: <laughs> so, what he said was there was a drop in wine sales after medical marijuana was legalized, um, and then there was another this is the good part after recreational use was legalized, it dropped a bit more. But then bounced back to actually gain to before any legalization standards. So with
1: standards. The medical use, it actually dropped wine sales. Yes,
0: but when it became legal, it went up. And his his theory is that he thinks that the legalization of marijuana brought in. Uh, what he calls it tourists, I'm going to call it party types. Well, <laughs> oh, I thought it was
1: just that people needed something to drink with their Doritos and Oreos. Yeah, it
0: could be, but it, it says it's a migration of, of the state by young people and the increase of, of young people in tourism there. Hmm. So, and he said he said after only a year, taxes from recreational
1: weed uh, are more than from all alcoholic beverages combined. Well, that builds nicely on the comment I made in the history segment and tells us now that, yeah. that every state's going to be looking at that and saying, wait, there's more money. Well, that's exactly right. There's that's, more money we that's can That's certainly get. a
0: discussion here in California. I also liked and this is the classic distributor, and distributors like everybody, they've got to, their own territory to protect. So of yes, course that's do. what they do. And he says, you know, right now there's there's uh, I think it's four states and and district of Columbia allow uh recreational marijuana. Um and another 12 are considering California's in that mix. Yes. Um so he says, and now he's talking like a wine guy. He says Marijuana is direct to consumer, <laughs> which means that distributors aren't in the way people who you can just produce buy, it when you want it, you buy it. Point. Right? He says that distributors, wine and spirits wholesalers, are looking closest closely at the quote cannabis sector. Yeah. <laughs> and he says he says that the middle tier, which is what they call distributors... The middle man, as yeah, it were. Yeah, but they are is the middle man, right? Yeah. Will provide a level playing field as was intended for immediate post-prohibition alcohol. Sales.
1: Excellent. So, so now that you guys are cutting into our profits, we'd like to be distributors for yes, marijuana, too. Yes, so we too. can cut
0: into the profits there
1: and take some more, Excellent.
0: which means that restaurants are going to have to really increase the price of the marijuana. There, this, well, uh, what dinner. would
1: <laughs> you call that? If it's corkage, what would you call it? Smokage? It would, yeah, or Weed rollage, did? or Weeded, I think. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Or yes. All right. Well, this is garbage, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this. Uh, you're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We are going to go back to our mailbag. And by the way, once again, if you'd like to ask us a question, and we will give you credit, or not if you prefer, many do, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget, we are on iTunes. All right. This one comes from Henry in American Canyon.
1: Okay.
0: It says, what are super Tuscans? Are they anything like Cal e Tau Cal Ital, I suppose how you say it? I used to hear Cal I a lot and don't hear much anymore.
1: Yeah. Well super Tuscans are the superheroes of of the, the Tuscans, Ata- of the yeah. Italian, they're wine the guys that fly around and yes. rescue the other Tuscans. Yes, yes, but they speak <laughs> in English with an with an Italian <laughs> accent. Yes, right. the
0: Italian, I like it. I no, like
1: it. Super Tuscan. You know, this this gets back to a show we did recently about how wines in Europe are are named and labeled by the region in which they are grown, and one of the problems that people had in Italy was that in the areas of Tuscany, every region required that the the grapes be used be a a huge percentage sangiovese which is kind of the native grape of Tuscany some of the producers there thought they could make a really great wine but they didn't they they wanted to add more of the other grapes than their current laws allowed so they went outside the law basically and said we ain't going to call it Chianti Classico. We're not going to call it Brunello or Montalcino or Montepulciano. We're just going to call it red wine from Tuscany, but it's going to be a killer wine. It's just not going to meet the guidelines of those regions, so we can't put all those special names on it, but it's going to actually be, we think, better wine than anything else, thus Super and Tuscan. Yeah, and,
0: and it's a brilliant marketing uh, name, which is different from Calatau. Calatau was... Um, it was just kind of a, a catchy thing that, you know, Wine Writers really started it, I think, which was saying that a lot of. Italian varietals grown in California. Right.
1: There was a trend at one point to produce Sangiovese, Nebbiolo, some of the other grapes in Italy in California. That trend has softened quite a bit. Uh, the only one that I can think of right off the top of my head is Vino Nocetto up in the foothills that makes Sangiovese. In Ambro County, yeah. Um, killer Sangiovese. Um, but even, even uh, Piero Antinori from Tuscany, who was making Sangiovese in the Napa Valley, he doesn't make it anymore. He makes Cabernet in the Napa Valley. Yeah, so. there
0: was there's a, a lot of great Sangiovese see um, vineyards in Napa that are now Cabernet Vineyards.
1: So that's why why Henry doesn't hear that term anymore, is that I think there are probably fewer Italian varietal wines in California today than there were 10 years ago. And certainly there's not a a big trend up as there was at one point.
0: Yeah, and I, this is and it brings up sort of in some ways one of the questions that we got a couple of weeks ago about sort of the what, you know, lesser known varietals and why they don't they don't do so well in the market and the, one of the reasons is and a lot of the Sangiovese and those other Italian varietals there's less of them because it's easier to sell Cabernet or Chardonnay sure. or Pinot Noir and wines that people know and like. Yep. And so, you know, that's what happened in Napa with those, you know, the Cabernet sells for a lot more too. So it's a combination of both of those things which isn't yep. to say there aren't Italian-style wines, and but not many of them, any great number in California. So that's why you don't
1: hear it. Yep. And none of them are called Super Tuscan because they're not made in Tuscan. That's right.
0: All right. This this one is from Jane in Sacramento. This is to answer your question about uh, why we don't – or she asked the question about – she says, why can't I find wines in stores that are the same wines that I found in a restaurant that I really like?
1: Ah, and I know the answer you were starting question. to answer that. Now, and you I, wouldn't let me. I will let you know. Oh, and now you're begging You have aren't my you? permission. Now yes. you're begging. Now you I want am. me to answer the please, question. Please, <laughs>
0: please answer this question, Paul.
1: Yeah, so some wineries have been pretty smart about this and they say, okay, so the restaurant doesn't like to serve the wine that everybody knows you can buy in the supermarket for $11.99. Because if the restaurant serves that wine and they price it at $40, everybody's going to say, restaurant's gouging me. As Anthony knew. As That's right, and And so what wineries do is they take often exactly the same wine, Sometimes the winery will argue, no, really, it's completely different. (laughs) But a lot of times it's exactly the same wine, but they put a separate label on it, a different label, and they tell the distributor, this one is only for sale in restaurants. So you go in and buy wine A in the retail shop for $11.99 and it tastes great, and you think, oh, I like that. I'm going to now try a similar wine in a restaurant, and you order wine B and you say, oh, I like that. A little more expensive. It's $40 in a restaurant, but at least you don't make the connection. Boy, it's exactly the same wine in the restaurant's gouging me.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and this that comes in sort of two forms, too. There are some, especially larger restaurant groups or chains or whatever, that will have my wines made particularly for them,
1: or at least labeled. A label for them. Yeah.
0: Labeled particularly for them. That's and, right. the, and then the, right. there's those others. Special um, bottling um, just yeah. for us. And then a more, I would call less nefarious, more honest, is that, you know, especially when you start to go to some of the higher end wine places is they don't want wines that you can find anywhere simply because they want to be special.
1: Right. They want to have wines right.
0: that you can't, that you, because sure. they're charging $50 cork well, or a, something.
1: I had a yeah. uh, one of my best friends, the best man at my wedding, used to own a, a really successful restaurant in the East Bay and he used to say, people don't come to my restaurant to drink wines they can find in the local supermarket. Part of my job as a restaurateur is to go out and find new and interesting experiences for my customers and that includes the wine list. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: Although as uh, our friends at the Cornell School of uh, Hospitality have studied, he's partly wrong. That um, <coughs> remember we we've had. I'll a study point enough, this out to him. Yes, well, yes, and tell Rick said so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that, and it, it, of course it depends on the kind of restaurant, but sort of right. that mainstream dinner. What they found was that people wine ordered. sales went up when there were familiar names on the list. Yep. If for no other reason than give people a reference point. Yep. And yeah. so, you know, that's the thing. It's, yep. you know, and, you know, you go in and we've all been to the restaurant where, where you don't know anything. Right. And you feel like, I should probably get a beer. Right. You know, and right. so it just makes people a little, yeah. feel a little more you comfortable. You almost
1: feel like turning to someone and saying, are any of these wines made with grapes? Yes. <laughs> yes. I've asked that. And once it was no, it was <laughs> no.
0: All right. We have another one. This is from Ashley in Pismo Beach. Cool. She says, what's wrong with ripe? Ripe, R-I-P-E. We ordered a cab at a restaurant, and the guy was nice and everything, but he said the wine was ripe, as in the wine is awful. We got it anyway, and it was good.
1: Why did he hate ripe? You know, this reminds me of what your wife said to you after you came home from a run.
0: (laughs) That I I was ripe? (laughs) (laughs) She said, said, I saw you out there. You were running really slow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, this is a perfect wine snob story. Yes, here it is, is a customer absolutely. who loves a certain kind of wine, is delighted with a certain kind of wine, asks for it at the restaurant, and the waiter says, "You are a snurd and a scumbag for liking that kind of wine. You should drink the wine that I like because I'm better than you." Yeah, it's
0: this is is you know
1: we this guy's got no future so, in so, the business. Yeah,
0: what right right and what ripe means to him, but you know it might mean a slightly higher alcohol or slightly larger wine,
1: right. H- lower acid. Yeah,
0: yeah, but you know, if you like that wine, it's like smooth. We we talk about smooth a lot as a descriptor
1: right. that regular people like and wine people hate. You know what I want? Sometimes I want to go into a restaurant and have this same guy, this same waiter, and the people sit around the table and he gives them the restaurant the dessert menu. And one of the people says, "Yeah, I'll have the chocolate mousse," and he says, "Yeah." Chocolate <laughs> mousse. Nice call. Right? <laughs> Only losers eat chocolate mousse. But Which he is, feels like he can do that exa- with the wine. Exactly
0: what, what he's saying. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it is you know, there's some. I mean, there's there's lots of reasons why the the wine idiot snobs, you know, don't like things like ripe or smooth. And and, and it's the same reason they don't like
1: chocolate mousse. They're it, idiots. It, yeah.
0: Yeah. They're they're you know, but it's. It's uncool. It's like this this reverberation of uncool to like popular things. Right. Popular if lots of people like it, then you can't just you can't show your your sophisticated and very cool and with it palette by liking what all those regular people like. You have to like something they've never heard of. That's right. Yeah. And so
1: it's um yeah. yeah, They only order the bomb surprise when yes. they order their dessert. Um,
0: yeah, so I think what you should, when you get that guy, Ashley, give him a really unripe tip, I think is what you should <laughs> do. Good advice. Yes. All right. Uh, the uh, next one is uh, from uh, Lawrence in Chico. And cool. he says, I hope this isn't a dumb question. Okay, so right off the bat— we know that, uh, that he's is our kind of guy. He's our kind of guy because we only answer dumb questions. It's the or, only no, ones we give we're dumb s- answers. It's that's the that's only it ones is. we're smart
1: enough to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, but it's also
0: this fear that there's a dumb question in, that you can ask in the wine world. And if you don't know that's something, right. you simply don't know something. That's it right. It doesn't make you Look a bad Look at Rick. Person. It hasn't
1: stopped him I for have, a minute. I do
0: a radio show. And I don't know
1: anything. <laughs> All
0: right. Anyway, what he says
1: is, What's a vertical? My friend was gonna
0: uh, going to a vertical of some wine.
1: I don't want to ask. I didn't want to ask him what it was. Okay, vertical is simply when you taste the wines and the bottles are all standing upright.
0: I, I thought it was when when you were horizontal and the bottle was vertical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're teasing you. We're teasing you, Lawrence. A uh, vertical just means that the wines are are selected same producer, different vintages. So if you think about it, it's sort of a timeline, a vertical timeline going from maybe a 2013 to 2012, 2010, 27, 23, something like that. People get all excited about them because it allows you to see how the style of the house continues through the vintages and all the rest. Rick just likes them because you get to drink six. Yeah, you get different more different. I like that. Of you, wine. you get more.
0: Uh, yeah, and you know a lot of wineries love they, they their, their holiday sales. You know which we are getting into holiday yes, sales or vertical a package a
1: vertical package. Yeah,
0: and a vertical is a really it is a lovely gift. It, it looks it looks like you're trying.
1: You know, right? And right. God God knows Although,
0: I need all the help I can get. I would so, say I, as know, a
1: consumer. Yeah. One of the least helpful things I can buy from a winery is a vertical, because the idea that I would host a party where we would do a vertical tasting, that just is not something that's going to happen in my house. Yeah. We'll invite you for dinner. But if we'll invite you for dinner, we'll pull one of those bottles out and drink it. But putting all three on the table at the same time, my wife, the chef, would say, what are you, nuts? Yeah, well, it's three. Which is, which is not unusual. It's a question she frequently asks. But... <laughs> see.
0: See, I my, with me, I if we I've a, a vertical of like three wines like that. I'll I'll open them all for a meal, and then I'll say, "So, Deborah, what are you going to
1: drink?" <laughs> no. So no, just no, no. <laughs> just to take this all the way to the end, remember that there is, of course, also a horizontal. True. True. And which hori- is the same
0: producer, but uh, no, different producer. Same, same wine.
1: Same, same vintage. Right. So you take s- take six different wines from 2011, six different Zinfandels from 2011. That's a horizontal,
0: and a lot of times it'll, it'll be like it might be the same vineyard from if it's Could the be. same producer or something like that. They're, yeah. they're trying to do something fancy. Yeah, yeah. It, but one no. thing just want to go back to the vertical. One other thing for folks who do like that, and you know, if you arrange. If you have a bunch of friends over and you're going to do that, which is the best way to do it, you know, come over to taste the wines. Yeah, if
1: you're opening six bottles yeah. of wine, I would hope that you're going <laughs> at least one <laughs> <Yeah>. other friend. <laughs> no, I'm saying if you're going to do that, if you're right. going to do it,
0: but taste, go,
1: um, go, don't. Most people tend to go uh, new to old. Yes, they think we'll start with the fresh stuff and then we'll get into the really expensive old stuff. Right, but you need to go old to new All because beyond. the
0: flavors are going to be more subtle on the on the older wines. That's right. And the
1: big guys will overpower them. Them. That's right, right. It's so, a little bit like boxing with, um, with um, let's think of um, I've I, I know I, I no my joke is going. Dempsey, yeah. after you've boxed with Muhammad Ali. No, no. you want to do Dempsey first, because by the time you get to Ali, yeah, he's going to pack a punch.
0: Yeah, I'm not getting in a room with either one of those guys, and Dempsey's <laughs> dead, and I'm you know, still not. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, well, fair enough. Yeah,
0: all right, well, we've got we've got about five minutes left, so I think it might be just about time to move along and get to our food pairing, because I want to talk about our food pairing. Okay. All right, so we are zipping up the mailbag and moving on. If you'd like to ask us a question about wine or anything, go to rickandpaulwine.com, uh, all one word. And don't forget, we're on iTunes, food and wine pairing coming right up. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Frick and Paul and time for our food and wine pairing. I thought Doritos. No, I was, that was Doritos. the weed thing, although we could <laughs> probably do that. No, no. I think this is a food for this time of the year. It's a kind of a fall food. I don't eat this much except at this time of the year. And okay. it's a great food, fried chicken.
1: Okay. Okay. So now do we have time? I have a, I have a really sort of sweet little story about this. The first serious, serious camping trip I took with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, is was,
0: this a serious camping trip, as in you, you guys were like, you know, roughing it, or is this was a serious date? It was a serious date. Gotcha. Okay.
1: And so we decided we were—it was Memorial Day. So end of May, we drive up to Kings Canyon National Park, Grants Grove Campground, 7,000 feet, 8,000 feet, snow on the ground. I mean, there's some— ground, but there's also snow banks around and stuff, and I had brought a couple of bottles of Rosé d'Anjou, nice, fresh Loire Valley Rosé wine, and we drove through Fresno, racing to get to the campground before dark, and we got there, and as we raced through Fresno, we stopped up and bought... But, of course, uh, following all speed limit laws... Of course, (laughs) absolutely. We stopped and bought a bucket of the Colonel's finest. Ah, there you go. And we drove up to the campground. It was just getting dark. I set up the tent, threw the bottles of wine in a snowbank, started the fire. She threw out the sleeping bag. She pulled out the chicken. We sat there on the little picnic table, pulled the wine out of the snow, sat by the fire, drank our rosé d'Anjou, ate our Kentucky fried chicken, and I married her. Yeah, and she thought forever she was going to be getting iced rosé and
0: Kentucky fried chicken. <laughs> now, luckily you married a chef
1: is all I'm saying. Yeah, but well, you know what? That was a good combination, and it was a really yeah. romantic evening. Well,
0: I, I, I like that you brought that up because I was going to was gonna split our fried chicken because I think the cold fried chicken, which is, you know, it it, it pairs differently than the hot stuff. Uh-huh, I think that the hot uh-huh. stuff, you know, it the fat stands out. Right. And for me— right. I love it with with just a big rich chardonnay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you get the, the the you know and the cold stuff. I like with Zimda. I and when it's cold, really? I kind of like the big red to go with it. And yeah. see,
1: I'm looking at something lighter. I if I were doing fried chicken and if even if it were hot and is it spicy fried chicken? Be- well, there's that's a wing. <laughs> you know, but you know, I'm like looking at show, uh, yeah. maybe a very an, a nice icy cold sauvignon blanc, an icy cold maybe even something floral like a viognier. And um, well,
0: you know, if it's the Colonel's chicken, you got all that pepper on there, so I can see where right. that, that would go. That's yeah, right. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And the cold fried chicken hadn't really thought about, except you know, I gotta tell you, two bottles of rosé, d'anjou chilled in a snowbank—pretty great combination. Well,
0: you know, uh, lots of people have heard this say us say this lots of time, and we we need to just do a rosé show, yes, uh, because you know all- we
1: could broadcast live from Grant's Grove.
0: There we go. Uh yeah, I was gonna say it's from the Loire Valley. But uh <laughs> <That> <laughs> the um that is that rose is a great a great food pairing wine. It's a great salad wine, it's a great yep. cold cuts wine, it's a great party wine for all the parties that we're starting to get into as we head towards party season. You know, it's 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 funny and we will do the we'll do a show on, on like you know, how to sort of think about wine in some of your parties. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. funny, if you are throwing a party, this is a good wine. Um, if you are, uh, if you're coming to a party, it's probably not the great wine to bring. But rosé goes right. really well. That's right. But if you bring a rosé, everybody think you're cheap. That's right. You know, right. but yeah, if Well, you, they think
1: you're cheap anyway. Well, they right, know. So, so
0: I can bring it because I'm not going to have to just, you know, I'm going to have to disprove <laughs> anything. They are, they are going to know that I am... Cheap, too. All right. Well, I think I think we've pretty much uh, destroyed any sense of credibility that either one of us used to have. So that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Passini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can try to answer on the show or mangle it as you've just heard, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes and some of the other uh, uh, podcast apps, and you can subscribe for free any way you go. If you learned anything today, we hope it's this. Wine prices are worth it, if they're worth it to you. It's kind of like us. I hope we are worth it. Well, we are worth it because we're free.
1: I'm Rick Cushman. (laughs) And I'm Paul Wagner.
0: Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us.